Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This psalm only contains 19 verses, but they are very, very powerful, and they are very moving verses. If you look at the, if you look at Psalms 51, it is um, it is almost as though you're watching a high definition video that is just playing out incrementally, moment by moment, of a specific period of time in the life of a man by the name of David. It's a man who is without a doubt tasting uh, the bitter agony of defeat. There's, um, it's a man that is tasting the, the very bitter agony of defeat. David has grievously sinned. And uh, if you know anything about the life of David and observing my audience tonight, I feel safe to just kind of plow forward I think you may know. I think you may know uh, this story. Perhaps David could have never imagined himself in this position prior to the moment he's standing there. This would not be where he dreamed of being. This would not be what he thought as a young man. Uh, if you have your dream of where you'd like to be standing at this particular juncture of life, where would it be? This certainly not would not be the description of what David would say. Not at all anything that he ever thought could happen to him, although he had watched it happen in the lives of others, no doubt. We have uh, no doubt ourselves experienced similar things. You, you watch people go through calamities or sickness or, or death or pain of some sort, and, and, and I don't mean it arrogantly at all that we think that's beyond us, but you can't imagine yourself there until, of course, the day you wake up there. And now decisions are, are to be made and, and um, we have to decide what we're going to do. So here in this moment of time is a young shepherd boy. He is a young shepherd boy that had slain a lion and a bear. Here was the young man that was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Here stood the man that had so skillfully saved the nation, an entire nation with just a sling and a stone. Here was a man that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. It seems that nothing in the world could have prepared him for the series of events that he was destined to walk through. I don't know what led to David's, ultimately, I don't know what led to David's fall. We all could weigh in our own opinion, perhaps. But maybe it was that David had grown just too lofty in his opinion of himself. We all have been guilty of that at some point. It seemed that, that David, for whatever reason, the, the Bible is not definite. We, we don't have just little tiny layers to peel back word by word. But for whatever reason, David felt it wasn't necessary 
for me to go to battle today. I'll just send others and all will be okay. He stays home and in that fateful decision, it would be a moment that he would live to regret time and time and time again. He had no way of knowing how weighty, how meaningful, and how damning just an innocent glance would ultimately cost him. David's life was, was like a rock rolling downhill. It was just picking up momentum and it was, it was moving everything in its path. David was out of control. One ill-fated decision simply led to the next ill-fated decision. And before it's all over, and I'm not talking about David's life in its entirety, but I'm just talking about in context of Psalms 51. Before it's all over, David is standing at an altar of matrimony about to marry a widow woman. In her womb is the product or the byproduct of his own unbridled affection. On the outskirts of town is a freshly dug grave of, of a man whose only crime was being loyal to David. This grave belongs to one of David's trusted friends who in effect died at his own hands. Perhaps in some strange way, David thinks, I've gotten by. We've made up a few stories and I've married Bathsheba and we're going to get through this. Everything is going to be okay. It's covered. But that's when Nathan the prophet came knocking at his door. Now, Nathan wasn't there to pry in his business or to try to dictate any portion of David's life. Nothing at all could be any further from the truth. I believe that Nathan was standing at David's house, knocking on his door by the command of God. It was God that sent Nathan the prophet to the door of David. Nathan was doing for David what the Holy Spirit tries to do in our lives. It was that warning. It was that word of caution. It was that raised finger. It was that concerned look that said, you may want to think about this. You may want to think about this. The infilling of the Holy Ghost, I believe, should knock on our heart's door and it should convict us of sin. And when it doesn't, when it doesn't, we should ask ourselves why. Can I ask you a question and can we ask ourselves a question and be honest with you that there are things that should bother us that don't bother us and that ought to bother us. It ought to bother us that we're not bothered by things that go on around us because you can get insensitive and desensitized to things that just we are so overly exposed to. And my, my, if we are not so overly exposed to the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah and the hour in which we live, certainly you have to agree with that. We are living in an hour where uh, there are no nothing no nothing is withheld all the gates are open and there's nothing left of the imagination and our our generation and especially certainly not just our youth because we're all exposed to it but those young and impressionable hearts and minds are exposed to unimaginable things especially by some of us that have a few decades behind us unimaginable in our day amen the infilling of the holy ghost should knock at our door the infilling of the Holy Ghost should prick our heart and say, I don't think you ought to do that. 
Amen. The writer, I read it today, but the writer of Hebrews 12 and 1 said that we ought to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And that means that there are principles of the word of God that should reach out and touch our heart and say that may not be a sin, but it could be a weight that will lead me in a way or prohibit me in some path. I need to be very, very careful. The repentant language of this psalm is is always, pardon me for being personal here, but the, but, but the repentant language of, of Psalms 51 has always been startling to me. Always. I, I try when I read the 51st Psalm to take an extra effort not to skim through these pages or passages too quickly. I don't want to just read over them as though they're a novel or just read past them as though they're just some minuscule moment, shallow moment in a man's life because it is anything but. I try to place myself as closely as I can to the heart of David. Amen. I want to hear his heart. I don't want to just hear his voice. I want to hear his heart. I want to try something here tonight different than we may normally do, but I like to read the Bible, and, and, and often as I read, especially daily reading, or morning when I'm morning reading, I should say maybe the word of the Lord, I like to listen to the Bible along with reading the Bible, and it helps pronounce those words that are just under that long for one thing. Several years ago, I was introduced and fell in love with the dramatized versions of the Bible, and it just seems to help me to keep the context of the Scripture uh, kind of plug in, and you can hear a little bit more, and, and perhaps make a little more sense of it. it. Helps to place within the context of of the events that are unfolding in particular passages that I'm reading. And so tonight, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to follow along in your Bible or perhaps on the screen. I want us to listen to a passage that's being read for us. Now, this is not what we're going to start doing from now on. I just felt led to do this today, and and uh, and thankfully my daughter-in-law was was off this afternoon, and we got it going. And so we're going to pray that the power will just hold on for about another three minutes. Amen. I want you to try, if you will, to feel the heartache and feel the disappointment. Don't just read the word on the page, but let's listen to the heart of a writer. Can we do that?
most likely your Bible has the following heading at the beginning of this chapter, which was read there. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Those seven words was the tipping point after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So the, the preparers of this, of this psalm set the tone and the tenor of what we were about to read. This is exactly about, is about is what is about to happen. We're going to open the door and this is what you're going to see behind this door. This is a psalm of David. When Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, Verse 3 of this passage, and I'm not going to try to take this verse by verse, but I do want to grab some of them for our consideration. Verse 3 is very telling to me. There's, there's no need to reach for a commentary and no need to do a word search to try to figure out what David was trying to convey. It's, it's just right there for the taking. It is a raw and a very deep confession. And I believe it is the turning point. In David's life, and it is certainly, if there is a turning point to be found in ours, it is the turning point. Because David said in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Now, David realized that his sins were ever before him. No doubt, David had the presence of mind to realize that the newspaper headlines will soon move to another story. And that's what I've told people so many times through the years. No matter how you feel right now, in just a few days, something else will steal this story and it will be, somebody will be chasing something else. As a matter of fact, right in our own state, uh, we had a tremendously horrific storm that came through the Panama City area, that panhandle area. And on the heels of that were when you thought it just couldn't get any worse. Our nation on the West Coast suffered some tremendous fires that, uh, that began to burn. And it wasn't long that the news went from Panama City to the West Coast. And now people in the Panhandle area who are still living in utter devastation, if you don't know, they are referring to the hurricane that came through there as the forgotten storm. The forgotten storm because too soon another tragedy struck our nation and the attention went somewhere else and now people are left dealing with an aftermath in many places. Someone sent me a video just a couple of weeks ago and in certain areas of that place out there, it looks like the storm hit yesterday. It's unbelievable. So perhaps David realized that no matter how no matter how large the headline of this is today, something is going to steal it tomorrow. It'll, it'll be another story. And one day soon, something else will take the place of all this bloodletting. And as bad as all this has been, David realized somebody's going to do something worse. And, and so I'm going to lose my number one spot. And gratefully, thankfully, it's going to be I'll notch down and I won't be the topic of everyone's conversation while they're sitting around the dinner table But nothing was going to cover the crushing weight of the reality of his sin. Because while someone else may be thinking about something else, and while someone else may have moved to another story, and while something else may have captivated the attention of the world, David said, it is ever before me. 
I can't get away from me. There was no further attempt to cover it up, and so he just makes this confession. Here I am. I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sins are ever before me. I'm not here to make an excuse. I'm not here to give any reasons. I'm just acknowledging that I've done wrong, and I need you. Verse 4, he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. He's conscious that his secret sin had now become an insult to the name and the character of the God that he represented. And so David didn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba and her family, and I did this against my own, and, and I have shamed. But he said, Lord, I have just sinned against thee and thee only, because in light of what was happening, that's exactly how David felt. In verse number six, he said, Thou desirest truth in the inward part. Amen. He now feels more keenly than ever that God is looking at the heart of a person and not just on the outside or not just what we are portraying to the rest of the world. He said, thou desirest truth on the inward parts because hypocrisy like faith and truthfulness is a thing of the heart. Amen, we've got to understand I can be sincere and it's gonna be in my heart. I can be hypocritical and that also will be in my heart. That is why Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and verse 39 said to the Pharisees, he said, you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward parts, he said, that is full of ravening and and wickedness. You're cleaning up all this on the outside, but what the real issue is, is on the inside. And so while I certainly believe in in outward holiness and while I believe in separation from the world in all ways, in our dress, in our talk, our language, and how we conduct ourselves, the real issue is that if we clean up the outside and leave the inside raw and wrong, then after a while it's all going to be tainted because it has to be born from within. It's truth in the inward part that David said that caused Jesus to extend forgiveness and cleansing because the Lord could see the heart of David. Amen. We've all met people and perhaps we've even had our own children that were not sorry for what they did. They were just sorry that you saw them do what they did. Amen. You can rest assured that when you find confession on this level, you'll also find a person that is making some petitions with God. In truth, the heart not only needs to be emptied of sin, but it also needs to be filled up with good. That's why I do believe that we should die out, and I do believe that we should pour out, and I do believe that we should rid ourselves, but we don't just need to walk around empty. We've got to take that cleansed vessel and that clean heart and say, now fill me, Lord. Amen. Get all that out that doesn't belong there, but fill me up with your spirit full and overflowing. Amen. Therefore, David begins to petition God, and his first petition was this, have mercy, have mercy upon me, O God. David understood that nothing but mercy is ever going to resolve the situation that I am in. There will be no excuse that could justify the magnitude of all that David had given himself to. What could you say that would justify 
him staying home? What could you say? Him justifying taking another man's wife. What could you say to justify murdering that man because you found out that she's now carrying your baby? What could justify any of that? David realized that only mercy can resolve the situation that I'm in. There will be nothing I can say. There is nothing I can bring to the table. There is nothing that I can do to paint me in a positive light at all. And so he said, have mercy upon me, O God. David, like you and I, amen, you may not have murdered and you may not have done a lot of things that David is guilty of here, but I'm gonna tell you that sin is sin. And when we stand in the presence of God, we need to have on our lips, have mercy upon me, O God. David didn't just need any kind of mercy. He needed the mercy of God. I believe it certainly goes without saying that the mercy of man is a good thing, but man cannot resolve the issues of the soul. Amen. And so I so he says, have mercy upon me, O God. David pleads next for a cleansing from sin. He says, wash me thoroughly and cleanse me from my sin. In verse two, the remedy must be as thorough as the disease or even greater. The remedy must be as thorough as the disease or even greater than that that you're facing. Amen. I think that's why the Bible says that where sin did abound, grace did the more, much more abound because the answer is greater than the problem. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we're serving a God that has an answer? Amen. He has an answer that's greater than the problem. The only infallible cure for the guilt and the pollution of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Not only did David need to be cleansed from sin, but he needed to be delivered from the guilt that was associated with that sin. I I don't feel tonight that I have a vocabulary adequate enough to portray or paint a picture for all of us tonight to understand the weight and the guilt that so many people go to bed with every night and they wake up with the next day. Amen. David was praying, God, amen, cleanse me and wash me and have mercy upon me. He needed to be free from the guilt that was associated with a sin. And that's why he said in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be be clean. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. That may not make a whole lot of sense to us sitting here in 2019. Amen. But if we look at Exodus 12, you would understand the power and the reason of hyssop and what it was all about. Hyssop had to do with the blood of the lamb. Another another rendering of this scripture doesn't just say purge me with hyssop but it says soak me. It Soak me and I shall be clean. I heard my mother say more than one time when she looked at my filthy self after playing in the dirt all day long, she said, you're going to have to soak a little while. (laughs) Else we're going to move the top layer of hide if we just try to go for this all at one time. We're going to let this soak a little while. I don't think I'm the only man in this house that thinks from time to time when you're helping with the dishes and cleaning everything up that some pots are better to soak. It's a guy thing. It's a guy thing. Because I've found often when you leave something to soak that magically not only will it loosen up, but I've walked in the kitchen and the pot was completely clean, dried, and put away. Soaking. (laughs) Soaking. (laughs) It can work. 
It can work. Amen. It might lead you to an episode of Judge Judy, but it also may work from time to time. Soak me. Soak me, Lord, and I shall be clean. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. I realize, David was saying, I realize that I've not, cre- I've not committed a minor offense here. I've not just stolen a pack of gum. I've not just slipped a little insignificant piece of costume jewelry into my pocket and walked out of the store without paying. But God, I've got blood on my hands. I've got families that are affected. We've got people that are, that are dealing with hatred and bitterness in their heart. Men that hate me, I need you to purge me. I need you to purge me. God's forgiveness is always based on the grounds of penance. Amen. God's in the forgiven business, but he's looking at our heart. How repentant are we really? If the conscience is to be purged from, from dead and sinful works, then it must be the blood of Jesus Christ that's applied. Amen. As we move through this passage of Scripture, there is... If there is a passage, and I don't want to embarrass her, but if there is a passage that would be synonymous with my wife, it would be the next portion of this psalm because I have no idea how many times through the years I've heard her with my own ears pray this prayer so many times in her praying when she says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Amen. It challenges me to understand the value of being washed and clean. Don't let anything be in my heart and my life that that should not be there. Amen. The remedy would not be perfect if it only dealt with past sins and present guilt. It would not be perfect if it only dealt with yesterday's sins and today's guilt because Jeremiah so pointedly warned us about the heart. He said the heart. Now can I tell you he was talking about your heart? And he was talking about my heart that we think we have guarded and we think we have shielded and shielded and we're going to trust our little gut feelings here and there but but Jeremiah said you better watch that heart. You better watch that heart because it can be deceitful and it can be wicked. You better not ever trust your heart. Therefore, it must be changed. That's why David said, create in me a clean heart. Amen. Create, amen, a a clean heart. That new creation, it's a heart that is destitute of love, of sin, and it is filled with the love of God. Job, the Bible says of Job that he didn't just love the Lord, but he hated, he eschewed evil. Amen. You see, we can't just be on the fence. I love the Lord, and what's going on out there is just okay. Let everybody just live and let live. But, But Job loved God, and he despised, he disdained evil and so should we ladies and gentlemen show so should we no matter how overexposed we are in this world we need to rise and be a change point anybody can go with the crowd anybody can go with the flow anybody can drift along but we have got to have the right spirit within us if we are going to be change makers in the world that God has called us to live in Amen. It is described, this new heart is described for us in John 3 and 3 as being born again. And then David moves and he says, renew, renew a right spirit within me. Anybody ever had a wrong spirit? So he said, renew a right spirit in me. And so with a new heart comes this new spirit within us because there cannot be the right spirit where there is not a clean heart. We've got to have a clean heart 
and then we've got to get a right spirit. That's why in Acts 15, when you read verses 8 and 9, the hearts of those that were purified by the faith, amen, they were the ones that were filled with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit. Amen, we got to get our heart right with God if there's going to be an indwelling of the Spirit because in the absence of the right Spirit, there is an obvious indwelling of sin. I've got to get my heart right. Amen, I've got to get my heart right. Verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And so as a backslider, and that's what David was, this joy had faded out in his life, but a new heart and a right spirit. With that, the joy of the Lord was going to return. Amen. Weep and may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. David understood what he was writing. There's a joy in his salvation and a joy that can never be lost. And then in verse number 12, He says this, he says, uphold me with thy free spirit, uphold me. Now, if we are walking through this prayer and if we are watching the progress of this prayer, now that he has been set free from the law of sin and death, David desires to be kept, preserved in this condition of spiritual freedom. So he cries to the Lord, uphold me, preserve me. Although we have had the cleansing power of his blood, amen, we can experience that we can have the greatest new birth experience known to man. But if we don't have God holding us, upholding us, and preserving us against the wiles of this world, we'll soon find ourselves in trouble. Amen. The Bible talks about the Spirit of the Lord in Psalms 91. Again, the same author who said he's given his angels charge over us lest we dash our foot against the stone. They would be there to bear us up. Amen. I want that angel to go to work with me every day. I want that angel to ride every, every mile that I drive. I want, I want that angel to walk every step because I may dash my foot against the stone unwittingly. And I want him to be there to bear me up. Amen. I'll say this and, and, and draw this to a close. Amen. Where there has been, um, I don't know how best to say it, but maybe where there has been an obvious work of grace in a person's life, there is destined to be signs that follow. Amen. Where there's been an obvious work of grace, something, is going to show from that. Something's going to come from that. And so, so David, we're, we're reading through this psalm, and it, it only just took minutes, mere minutes, to read through it. But we have to understand the, the progression of this working out in his life. Verse 13, David says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted or shall be turned unto thee I worry about people who never witness it concerns me when people never teach Bible studies personally when we don't try to reach someone ourselves and not just depend on the church corporately and collectively to have some manner or measure of outreach but David said I have been forgiven for so much and I have there has been such an obvious work of grace in my life. And so David said, here's what I'm going to do with that grace. I'm not just going to put it on a shelf and 
put it in a glass case and always look back and reflect at that moment. But David said, I'm going to take that grace experience and I'm going to teach transgressors thy way. Why? Because I've been one. I've been there. And sinners shall be turned to thee. There is nothing that will solidify your walk with God and nothing that will solidify the doctrine of the word of God like teaching the word of God yourself. Amen. I I obviously teach all the time. Just by default, I teach all the time. I don't know how many times and through the years behind this pulpit and others that while teaching to others, the Spirit of God will just illuminate something to me and I am just kind of want to stop and say, wow, wow, wait a minute. And there have been times that as soon as the service was over, I wanted to turn and write down and I needed to turn and write down something that God had shown me. And so I will tell you that if you're struggling with any area of your walk with God, start teaching that truth to other people and I'll promise you the light of God's word will shine if we're sincere in our heart, if, we're, if we are sincere in our life and want to see it because I will tell you tonight that we have, when you learn the ways of the Lord, we have learned something worth teaching when we have found the when you have found the fountain you want to lead others to that fountain amen we have something that transgressors need to know now I want to tell you something and I don't want to be negative and please don't take this out of context or take it wrong and this is not meant to be a discouraging statement but the work to convert a sinner is hard work amen James said this in, in chapter 5 and verse 20. He said, Let him know that he which converteth, converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Sometimes you're not just going to open a little pamphlet and share it with someone and they say, Praise God. I know that happens. But it don't always happen that way. And we can't be discouraged and dissuaded when it doesn't happen that way. Because one writer said, he that winneth souls is wise. Wise. Verse 15 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. And those that have been born again in truth have a double debt, as one writer said. We have a double debt to pay because we are debtors not only to the unsaved to teach him his way, but we are also debtors to God to always praise him. So we're double debtors. Amen. I want to teach those that do not know his way, and I certainly want to always give God praise. David wrote in Psalms 50 and 23, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And so from this powerful psalm, we see firsthand the, the real power of change, the power of change that happened in David's life. And so I'll, I'll just ask you to stand, and our musicians can stay if you would like. But I'll just ask you to please don't pre-dismiss because you're standing. But if we could just consider for a moment the power of change. David had everything going his way, and he plummets to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest lows. There's no doubt people thought this is oh it's it's over for you David and he no doubt thought it himself it is over and I'm I'm not here to minimize minimize his sin or to minimize sin in general certainly not the sin of David but we do see playing out for us unfolding for us the power of change 
David just starts out by being real with God and that confession and create and renew and against you and all, you only have I sinned. And, and then he says, Lord, just remind me and help me to be brought back. And he was changed. And, and life wasn't over for David. And he went on to impact his world. And the Bible says of him, the epitaph of David, what a powerful, powerful epitaph. It is said of David, he served his generation. So when you read about him in various places, and certainly when we read about uh, people in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that roll call of the heroes, we need to understand that many of them have, have, have scars and wounds, and, but they got real with God somewhere, and God turned all that around. I'm going to tell you that what God did for David and what God did for you and I, he can do for anyone. And what we need to understand is this, that if God could save me, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud right now, but we ought to say it to ourselves. If God can save me, he could save anybody. Anybody. So the next time we're tempted to look at someone and think, I don't know. We need to also understand that if it hadn't been the grace of God, that could have been us. Amen. And it could be us tomorrow. And so true change doesn't just happen on the outside. Real change happens within a dying out to self-will. There has to be a cleansing and then there has to be a filling and it can all happen. The power of change. Don't ever forget Psalms 51. Please, please, don't ever forget. A man said, Lord, if you'll wash me, if you'll wash me, I'll be clean again. And if you'll just cleanse me, I will reach to transgressors and I'll tell them I understand because I've been right where you've been. Amen. Can we pray over his word? I love you today, Lord. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the spirit of your word. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.